Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Five People on the Go, the show that's all about tools and approaches for success for the most brilliant people. My name is Meital Zavi. I'm your host, and today we have Avishai Sem Biton. And when I did the research for this episode, I got to say that there's just so much that you did, and there's so much I can say about you that it made it impossible to do a decent intro. So I'm just going to try. You are, you have two companies. You founded two or three? I founded two companies. Two? One of them and got you sold, sold one of them. One of them got sold to LinkedIn last year. And you are also an angel investor and you invested in many companies and you've done a lot. And like the people that are not watching this video, he's also very young. So that's quite impressive, I got to say. Now, but I brought you here for a specific topic because... Right now, everybody about everybody are talking about ChatGPT. It's big. It's uh, scary. Uh, how can we use it? And not a lot of people have the answers. And today, we're going to try giving the answers. Are you ready for it? I'm totally ready for it. Okay. So let's start from the beginning. A lot of people are excited about ChatGPT, but they're also kind of scared from it. So let's try calming everyone down first. Okay, well... What is it, AI? I'm going to try to calm people down, and hopefully it, um, it will be some kind of comfort to know that ChatGPT, in a sense, isn't anything new, right? It's been around, just you don't know it as ChatGPT, because ChatGPT is just the user interface that now we, the public, got into the world of GPT. So the technology that uh, a company called OpenAI has, uh, GPT-3, has been out for almost two or three years. I don't necessarily remember the timeline. But two years ago, a startup came into my office and asked me to invest based on the same technology that you're seeing now. And last I checked, that technology that is powering the startup I invested in did not change the way um, we work right now. Robots are not replacing people, but that startup, and their name is uh, Q, they gave the power to people to do more with the time they have. And the same thing goes for the second AI startup that walked um, through my office doors, uh, metaphorically, because that's the startup I actually invested after a 20-minute phone call <laughs> with an amazing female founder named Danielle Daphne, who has a company called Peach AI. And when she explained to me that the same technology that you um, can basically use for creating text and editing and getting information can also recognize what's happening in a video and can automatically edit it, um, that for me was you know, a, a huge pain point because I was a video editor spending a lot of time slicing and dicing my videos. I don't have to tell you that for every minute of footage that you have, you might spend an hours, hour at least hours. to edit. So <laughs> yeah. that was another startup that I knew that would not change the way we work in a way that, you know, again, robots will replace humans, but it will give power to humans to do more in less time. And I think if you go to PHAI's uh, page, they actually have them and their own employees doing videos on it. And mm -hmm. you can just see how people who have done no video editing training in the past are actually editing their own videos um, in horizontal or vertical format. And it's 
looks pretty great for people who have never, you know, trained to do Adobe Premiere or CapCut or anything of the apps that are running right now. Well, that's not coming at all. <laughs> <laughs> not even a little bit, especially as a video editor. Um, I'm just, I'm trying to understand. Okay, let's maybe try to maybe treat it a little bit more maturely, you know, because the technology is here. There's no reason to be scared of it. So let's talk about how we can utilize it. So you gave a really good example with PJI that they use, uh, they just take long videos and I guess slice them into shorter ones. Did I understand it correctly? Yeah, so it's, I think even more than that, it's the ability to choose, do I want to now edit the video as one whole video? Mm-hmm. Or do I want to take certain parts of a video and slice and dice them? You have the option to do different things if you teach the AI to do different things. Because the AI, it, it, it's a buzzword, right? Like, you know, artificial yeah. intelligence. What, but what is it? It's a result of a lot of machine learning. What is the machine learning? It's a result of a lot of inputs that you basically tell the machine, this is good, this is not good, this is good, this is not good. And you do that millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of times until the machine learns. So, for example, let's say um, image recognition, right? How do you teach the uh, machine uh, to recognize from the camera when we're drinking water, when we're not? These things have been existing a long time. Uh, Technology that Microsoft has called Lobe AI actually created a completely open to use um, platform that could recognize hand gestures. And if you're drinking or not drinking enough in the middle of the day, you could really train the machine with all kinds of very simple recording, yes, no. And that was way before um, OpenAI became a name that we talked about. So it, it really is all about training machines. And then the result of training machines is AI. So we want to, if we want to think about who are the people behind the AI, it's mostly us training them. We've been doing this for years, and I'll give you probably the best example ever. If you ever had to do a capture of like choosing traffic lights or choosing boats or buses of security measure to enter your Gmail or to enter um, any kind of platform that was kind of oh, okay, suspecting you're a bot. Yeah. You're the person training that AI, that machine. And we can choose to stop training them and they will stop learning at that point. But mm-hmm. as long as we keep training them, they will get smarter. And then we have to ask ourselves why we are training them and what do we want to accomplish? So in the uh, case of the traffic lights or buses, we help train autonomous cars. And autonomous cars, even though there is the technology, to my knowledge, I still have to uh, order a Uber driver who is a human. Um, and that car that they drive, if it's a Tesla, might have technology that can help them drive better, but it's not replacing them. So basically, if I understand correctly, what you're saying is that AI purpose, it, like the way AI works, it just identifies what's right and what's wrong in a way. Like just the most basic perspective of it. You say it identifies if it's a red light or a green light. You identify, it identifies if it's a car or a bus. It just, that's the way it works. So there's a story that I can't confirm because, you know, uh, everything that comes out of China needs to be taken with, um, some kind of hint of salt. Yeah. But 
uh, they apparently implemented AI in their government website, and it was supposed to be to help the citizens. And at one point, it started to basically act unexpectedly because uh, it the, the the kind of interactions they had with the citizens, they understood that the citizens are not necessarily liking the way they're living. So they shut down that AI because it started talking back to citizens in a way that the government didn't improve. So again, it, it would not reach that point without people interacting with it. So we have to be wary of people teaching the machine things that are maybe not moral or things that might be controversial. And if we teach the machines that, for example, um, things that you know maybe very uh, provocative, like women's rights are not equal as men's rights, so that could be an AI in one country learning that um, because that's the rule of law there, or um, that capitalism is not the best form of uh, governing and uh, fascism is. If, if these inputs go into an AI, then we can find ourselves in a situation where maybe AI is becoming more dangerous than helpful. And again, it all comes back to what we input. Okay, but right now, things like ChatGPT, they take their information from the internet, right? Like they just so search everywhere. Mo most AI platforms have information until a certain point of time because when they usually release a version of it, they release a version that um, they kind of put an end date to the amount of information they inputted in. So, for example, for GPT-3, uh, which is very similar in the technology that you're seeing on ChatGPT, right? There's all kinds of um, things that were either redacted or added in so we can have an easier um, interface. But GPT-3, the API, to my knowledge, for example, doesn't have information more than to now, uh, December 2022, for sure. And from uh, a few weeks ago, then I checked, it was up to December 2021. So like in terms of the knowledge of what happened and what they kind of, you know, know about information that's across the web, they have uh, uh, access until a certain date. And then when you have access until a certain date, you understand that in order to really use AI for something happening right now in the present, you're probably going to have to build your own custom models that you're inputting things right now in the present. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. So if it works like that, it means that the chat also picks up opinions. So I... Again, you're using the word chat, and I like to go to the model, be the model behind it, or the technology behind it, because again, the chat GPT is just a user interface, right? Yeah. So, like, just the database it goes to. I think, I, I think that we've tried to teach AI for a long time emotions, because I think that was always the kind of holy grail. Can we teach the computer to recognize the one thing that is very unique to humans, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what differentiates us from the machines. Yeah. We have emotions, they don't. And then we started training the machines to learn emotions. Now we can ask the machine to give us an output based on specific emotions. So I can write to an AI um, interface, write me please a story that is funny, that is sarcastic, mm -hmm. and that is romantic. And since we've trained the machine through feeding it endless amount of books or even stand-up comedy shows, there's been, there, there's been groups of people that fed machines just the, 
captions of comedian of comedian videos and teach them the difference between a comedian that is uh, racist uh, in the jokes and a comedian that is sexist in the jokes, you can actually ask to have a script almost for anything. And for example, ChatGPT has all kinds of limitations of what you can ask them to um, bring out because they don't want to, you know, kind of um, shake too many trees and to get people upset, but you can actually work on some models with no limitations and you can ask for a very, um, let's say, far from politically correct script, story, a comedy sketch, etc. And I think that it is going to be very hard to recognize soon what is human text and what is AI written text just on the fact that we're seeing AI deal with um, compromising, uh, uh, comprising emotions into the outputs that's bringing better. It's being better at understanding um, how to uh, bring emotions into text. And I am pretty positive that one of the things that is going to maybe freak out people a little is that in the future, AI will be able to understand what state we're in and what emotion we're in just based on our body language because that is another thing that the machines are being trained to based on videos. When is someone looking sad? When is somebody looking anxious? What is the body language that kind of is the common between people in these different feelings? So that will be maybe a bit of freakish for people, but I think it will give the ability for a lot of uh, different industries to actually help humans remotely in all kinds of situations. Interesting. Maybe even without them saying that they need help. So I'll give you an yeah. example of a company I invested in called Sensei AI, mm-hmm. which uses um, a very advanced technology to help people that don't necessarily know they need help. So they use it through audio. And Sensei AI, uh, to my knowledge, are right now implemented in homes of seniors oh. and um, uh, senior care centers and they actually use the audio to recognize uh, maybe patterns of breeding, maybe something that's happening in uh, the environment that senior is in through audio. And the machine is trained to know when that senior actually needs help, even if it's maybe a health issue that's developing that could be recognized through um, audio. And it's very hard to recognize through just looking at someone. So that is, for example... A, a, a way to use these kinds of training models for the good. And I think that it will help people live a longer life because we'll be able to recognize uh, people in some form of distress or people with all kinds of health issues that they n- don't necessarily know about that they have it yet. So I think mm-hmm. that would be uh, a great net positive for humanity. Yeah, that sounds great. So let's let's talk about that now, uh, because I feel that AI has this uh, scary vibe to it. But like you say, it can be also be very helpful. Let's talk about how we can use AI. So I, in my title, you know, at 8Fig, I'm a, a you know, marketing guy. I'm a growth guy. I'm uh, sometimes, you know, an operations guy. I, I wear so many hats, and the 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 time I I have on my hands is, um, you know, not not great 
because you have a lot of different managers that you want them to succeed and, and you have a lot of different goals that you set for yourself. And if you have ambitious goals, then, you know, the bar is really high. So mm-hmm. how do you actually reach a situation where you manage to accomplish all this? And AI is a great way to kind of create all kinds of shortcuts to tasks that weren't the kind of tasks that use a lot of mental capacity, not a lot of uh, intelligence, but they were just mundane tasks. So I'll give you an example. Um, I wanted to write a test for um, one of our new roles. And instead of writing a three-page test, I just put into um, ChatGPT exactly what I'm looking from the candidate, what I want them to be able to exhibit. And then I asked ChatGPT, can you write a test that will find me this type of candidate? And that worked wonderful. I got 70% of what I wanted in one hit of a button. And that was just enough to save me an hour of my time. Another thing that we did was that we actually um, looked for influencers that we wanted to work with. So we used um, basically the platforms uh, that you know create uh, messages that are personal in nature. So I can send at scale messages um, using uh, this kind of personal approach uh, and creating a conversation based on what people do. So kind of taking their bios, inputting them, and, and creating a message that will hook them, right? Once the hook works, then I as a human move in to continue the conversation. But at least in the initial stage, to kind of replicate myself times 50, I have the ability to now send 50 personal messages instead of one. And that is a huge net positive for me in my day-to-day. Now, if you're looking beyond me, if you're looking at people who work under me, how are they using um AI, you have uh, just as good as an example with designers. Uh, designers today have tools that can help them remove things faster than ever from the background. They can uh, remove the background itself from an image um, or of an object in an image. There are many things that designers today use to do very manually with the clicks of the mouse that with just prompting, this is what I want to happen on this image, um, that can actually happen. And I think that designers are probably the people who are going to freak out the most about where do they fit in this AI world. In the same time, I think that the designers that will master AI will break the glass ceiling of what the compensation for a designer can and should be. Because they are finally going to be in a position to have somewhat of the same recognition that engineers had. They're going to be able to utilize technology in a scalable way that doesn't necessarily, um, you know, uh, it works in the way that uh, we were used to in terms of how much output can a designer put out there in a day. If a designer can do 10x the output in 2023 versus what they did in 2022, I argue that the designer is worth at least 2x the compensation. And that is a game changer in the world of design. Mm -hmm. So you said you can use it for interviewers for writing tests. You mentioned uh, lead generation and reaching out. And you've mentioned uh, just designing, Um, which just means like putting more of your output out there, I guess? 
Yeah, just, I think I think that if you want to think about it this way, let's say I give I give my designer a very mundane task yeah. to uh, remove um, all kinds of um, I would say uh, irrelevant background noise out of um, an image, or maybe to just blur the background around um, you know a photo of two people from an event, or let's say even our video. Right, we're going to have a thumbnail. Yeah. And that thumbnail, um, in order to make it probably pop, we might want to blur the background. Mm -hmm. If you can take a bunch of frames and blur the background with a click of a button because you trained your personal AI to blur backgrounds in a certain way, that's great because you can probably now test a hundred different thumbnails and you don't have to go one by one and just clicking with the mouse around our figures and doing the blur on Photoshop one by one. That's the kind of output I'm talking about. You can do mm -hmm. much more in a less amount of time. And I'm the kind of person to argue and obviously, you know, I, I'm... Uh, copying uh, the great Gary Vee saying, it's a numbers game. Like, if you can do a hundred different posts a day, do a hundred different posts a day. So imagine a designer taking all my tweets, putting them in an AI model, and turning them out into nice images. And I, every day, can put out into the world a hundred Instagram stories, mm -hmm. and Facebook stories, and TikTok stories with those tweets. That is just one example of how you can scale your content to infinity using an AI model you train to do something very, very specific. I understand the example you gave about the designers, blurring the background, that makes sense. But for things like reaching out to people, people can tell from a mile away if this is a bot that's writing to them or a real person. Not necessarily. So, so I'll give you an example. Yeah. Um, let, uh, you know what? I'll put in a blank statement and then move to the example. Most cold emails suck. They okay. are not great. Because the fact, the data shows, we do not respond to most cold emails. You, in the best case for most cold emails, um, you know, you, you look at them and you read them and then you don't respond. Mm -hmm. Some of them, we start reading them and then after one sentence, we decide I'm, I, it's a cold email. I'm, I'm not, I don't have to read the next. Like it's probably mm -hmm. not relevant to me. And then I invested in a company two years ago called Calendar AI. Um, and they actually showed that there is an, there's a misunderstanding of why cold emails um, don't work. It's not because they don't sound human enough. It's because humans don't work in a methodology. Humans do not work in a methodological way to actually get their emails to be better. So example, Calendar AI writes the emails in different shapes and forms until it gets the right email that gets responses. Humans will sometimes work with the same email that's not getting responses for, for months <laughs> or years. And the only reason they won't change it is because they think that the person they're emailing is not interested. When in fact, the person they're emailing is just not hooked. And it's all about hooks. For the same reason somebody's going to click on this video, title. The same reason you're going to read an email until the end first two lines. Humans working with AI 
can actually be a superpower because the human can look at the prospect and say, here's the information that I think is relevant about the prospect. Here is a AI mechanism that knows how to write great hooks. Let's tell the AI who I'm emailing and let's get an AI-generated email, which is personalized to someone. And that will actually generate a chance to get more responses in less amount of time with basically, in theory, the, the, the option to email to infinity in a kind of, you know, in a world where you don't go into the spam inbox. Mm-hmm. Actually, I agree with you because I've been using ChatGPT for writing the titles for my videos and I've been noticing improvement, you know, because it actually, it knows what's good. I think so. the biggest issue we have as humans, we have a bias. Mm-hmm. And if you work with these models who don't have a bias uh, and they don't have like the subjectivity around something, right? Like we have this emotional connection to our craft as creators. The chat GPT is not emotionally connected to our video. It is looking to do what we wanted it to do. We wanted it to give us a good title for a specific video. And if you describe what's in the video, why it's interesting, um, there's a good chance that it will come out with one result that our brain might have not been able to give so fast or at all. That makes sense. Okay, so let's talk about more examples because I really like what you said about the cold emails and I think it really opens your mind. So what else can we do with it? So I think that one of the things that we can do with it down the line is to really improve our business, right? There's this enterprise world where companies like Palantir and maybe some more legacy companies like IBM and maybe Amazon and Google are working with their, you know, cloud technology, AI to really help bigger companies do things like reducing cost of servers, um, knowing where to cut staff, things that are really on a very like high level with these companies, it's very hard for us to kind of grasp the processes they're going through and how they're utilizing AI. But let's talk about me and you or people with small, medium businesses. They are about to get access to the kind of watered down specific versions of those things that the big companies have. So me and you will be able, for example, to manage our expenses smarter, right? The AI will probably learn patterns of our expenses and it will know in certain times to uh, direct us either to do or stop doing certain things. I think that once we, um, you know, give it access to our bank statements, we give it access to our credit cards, it will actually be the best kind of money manager we ever had. So, you know, how only the celebrities used to have money managers, we might have a money manager in our pocket. I think the next thing that um, AI will be able to do is to learn uh, what we like, what we don't like, what gives us a good feeling, what gives us a bad feeling. And it will be able to plan for us things like trips, So in the past, there were many attempts to create apps that will make a perfect trip per the person that the app is working with. So for example, you and me have a very different idea of what's an awesome trip. Um, And in the past, it didn't work. And now there's a higher likelihood 
to give an AI a request to create the, pers- the, the best trip for me based on I like this, I don't like that. And you might get a plan that's anywhere between 80 to 90% accurate about every attraction it offers you, every restaurant, even the hotel you should book. So that's another thing that I think AI is coming in. And I think the last thing um, that you know is going to be uh, really in our day-to-day life, I think that we're going to see more customer service, more recommendations from companies we're working with when we want to buy something from somewhere. So we're going to be probably going to be walking into clothing stores soon or even when we're shopping online and that uh, customer service representative that used to be hiding in the chat would be replaced by an AI that actually knows better what we're looking for. So another company I invested in called uh, RepAI is basically moving out that remote worker that usually sat in the chat box in the e-commerce store and they're putting a smart salesperson, somebody who's not there to just support you but to recommend something to you. So for example, those shoes look great with this shirt. So that's the kind of things that rep will be able to do that not necessarily a customer support person can do because a customer support person can only have so many conversations at one time. The AI sitting on a site can have endless amount of conversations, help an endless amount of people. Imagine walking into a clothing store and every person that is shopping and browsing around the store has mm-hmm. their own salesperson next to them. That's interesting. But on the other hand, I think the best salespeople are usually people's people. You know, people that can read people's emotion because it's not what the person says he wants. It's about what he doesn't say. And that goes back to what we talked about a few minutes ago that the AI is getting better at recognizing emotion. Mm -hmm. Right now, it is kind of bridging the gap through data. So the AI knows what you bought in the past because there's a lot of uh, information buying and transferring going between companies. It might be just enough to give you a good enough recommendation to push you into a purchase. Mm -hmm. And there will be times that the AI will be completely correct, just like a really great salesperson. And we've all been there when a salesperson pushes us to buy something we completely regret the minute we get home and try it. So I think the AI will have those same traits. The only thing is that you're going to be able to have the equivalent of thousands, if not tens of thousands salesperson that work in the same time for a fixed cost versus the need to, you know, completely staff a call center or a chat center filled with people to kind of support everyone. So Mm -hmm. the Zara, H&Ms of the world and an e-commerce seller that just started yesterday will all tap into the same kind of technology to help their customers find the best product for them. Interesting. Well, let's talk about the small business owner. How can they start? We talked about a few use cases. How do you actually do it? So I think that the first thing that small business owners should do if they want to kind of jump into the deep waters of utilizing AI is actually working first with companies that give services. You don't have to build everything on your own on day one. So I, I just talked about a bunch of companies um, since we started talking, and each one of them is specializing in a different aspect of AI. And just by using those products, you understand the capabilities that the AI has. Once you understand the capabilities, 
and you kind of map the different capabilities AI has, then you can start thinking, how can you custom tailor something specifically to your needs? And when you have that kind of eureka moment of, here's the specific need my small business has, here is what I want to accomplish that I didn't see any product on the market that's offering me that, then you can move ahead to talk to either freelance developers, agencies, or even bringing in-house uh, a, a chief technology officer. I've seen e-commerce stores even doing that, small, medium businesses bringing people who are passionate about building specific AI solutions. And one of the most fascinating things I've seen in the last year and a half, two years, is that there were some companies that brought in somebody to build an AI-related project, and it could um, you know, just be a simple feature to help the business, but it was actually spun off to be its own company because it solved an issue so well. So I believe that a lot of people are going to be building businesses through building first features that solve something in their small business and finding out that they actually solve something that is a pain point for many other people. And that will turn into an opportunity for small, medium businesses to actually become technology companies down the line. Mm-hmm. And what do they need in order to start building? Do they need, um, like, what do they even ask for? They ask for an AI specialist? So my uh, second company, Brainy, is a design partner with a company called AI21 Labs, which is kind of a competitor of OpenAI. And AI21 Labs, um, we approach them with our use case, and they assign to us someone great that helps us build things together with them. Mm. So the companies who are behind the user interfaces that you're using of all kinds of companies, um, the, the, the engines are really happy to work with large enterprise and small medium businesses on building different solutions to different use cases. Uh, we're right now sitting in Austin. A company called Jasper AI is probably one of the most famous AI companies um, in the world. And I sat with the CEO um, a few months ago here in the city. And it was amazing to see how they utilize different engines and combine them into a solution that in terms of the user interface was so easy to use that you don't really need to kind of worry What's the engine behind it? You're just getting the results you were looking for, no matter if you're looking for a product description for your Amazon product, a description for your YouTube video, or just writing a simple blog post. Um, they showed that you can build every use case by either working with one engine, combining a few, or even combining many. So, for example, when you want to translate something into a different language and do a prompt that you're used to, that might require a combination of different AIs. So uh, I totally recommend looking at OpenAI, looking at um, AI21 Labs, and seeing what they can offer your business if you're trying to build something. And um, I want to go back to that first business that I invested in in the AI space called Q. They um, exhibited such amazing abilities to create a tailored solution that they are a preferred partner of Quora, the question and answer site. And they're building uh, things that are very specific for that platform, just showing that you can really scale to a big, successful business by attacking different niches in the market 
that are currently overlooked. And I think Quora is a great example of a website that we all encountered at least once in our life, but we don't think about it on a daily basis. It has a lot of traffic and one of the best SEO websites in the world. And at the same time, it's not our first go-to when we want to ask a question. We go to Google and then we end up on Quora. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay, we need to finish soon. Uh, and it's a lot of information, so I don't want us to extend too much. But you invest in a lot of AI companies. So I assume you're very supportive of this technology. I am. Where do you see it heading? I think we're going to be in a situation where some AI companies will exhibit that they have the ability to teach people how to use their products very well, and those companies will be very successful and scale. Then there will be many companies that will build amazing things with AI, great technology, but will not have a solid go-to market. They will have a struggle when it comes to teaching people how to use their product. Their product marketing is not going to be great or the product market fit isn't going to be amazing. And that technology is going to be on the sidelines until we find a way to make everyone understand how to use everything. Kind of just like, you know, this, the, it's, it's kind of like a world where there are some things that we kind of can comprehend fast and some things will take more time. I think, for example, generating video from scratch with, with AI is something that is very early in the game. There's a technology called stable diffusion. And I think that we could comprehend how to use DALI 2 with images really fast, but then video might be more complicated for the same reasons why there are probably more graphic designers than there are video editors, just because uh, you know there are different moving parts in something that is play with a timeline versus a static image, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I think that we're going to see kind of a repeat of um, things from the past, some technologies will move faster and be adopted faster, and some things will take time. And I think that um, if you look in the past, probably um, there were many tools that just were not ready for everyone yet. I'll give an example, maybe Canva blew up in the last four or five years that everybody uses Canva. And that kind of, you know, platform existed in the past, but it was hard to convince people that there was something that was just as good as using Photoshop for the everyday Joe that is not complicated to use. So there is going to be a lot of weight on the people who do the marketing and the branding and the messaging in order to kind of determine how fast we're going to adopt every different AI solution. For the meanwhile, we're sold on creating text. We are slowly getting comfortable with generating creative with AI, mostly static creative. And I feel that in the future, we will be more comfortable with the video AI, which has that creepy element of, you know, kind of synthesizing an AI figure of ourselves. But I think that once we develop all kinds of defense technologies to kind of recognize what's real, what's not, kind of like the antivirus or you know, kind of image recognition of what was AI synthesized and what's not, then we'll feel more comfortable because there is a certain aspect of us wanting to at least know, to kind of have that disclaimer that what we're watching was generated by AI. It doesn't really matter for us 
if it was generated, it matters for us to recognize it was generated, to not feel misleaded. Makes sense. Well, last question. What is your advice for small business owners to stay ahead of the curve, as they say? I think that small business owners should try every AI platform that offers a free trial. There's you know, um, a lot of different platforms that right away you have to pay. For every uh, platform that you have to pay, it doesn't matter if you're doing text, images, videos, email marketing, designing websites from scratch, um, there's always a competitor that's going to offer a free trial. And I recommend learning how to uh, sign up to these things, use them because they're all very similar in nature. It all works a bit on prompts. I think one of the best companies that kind of gave access to this AI world that everybody can kind of utilize, and this is especially for small, medium businesses, go to Wix.com and launch a website. Even if you have a website, just go there and launch one. They have an AI setup where you actually tell Wix, what is your business? Who are your customers? What is um, your goal with the site? And it just generates a website from really? scratch. Yeah, that's that, amazing. And that's been around for a few years. And I know people who have worked it. on it closely, if it's from the head of engineering or uh, chief AI uh, kind of specialist that was um, in that project. And these things have been around for a while and we just didn't give it the title AI. But it is complete machine learning that started... Um, a long time ago, and now anybody who wants to open a Wix site can really build it in a few clicks of a button. No more putting the button on the right and creating like you know all these different frames. You can have the AI generate everything based on the answers you input to the AI. That's fascinating. Wow, that was so much information. Thank you so much, Avishai. That was great. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for coming. And thank you guys for listening or watching this episode. I think it was quite insightful. And honestly, I'm curious to start trying all of this. And uh, I hope you guys too. And don't forget to like, share, well, you know, the drill. And I'll see you guys on the next episode. Bye, guys.